Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. Usually it's me on location. This week it's you on location. Yeah, yeah I am uh, wrapping up my time in Mexico. So a little bit of an an early anniversary trip for the week. So and how's it been going? In the background, it's probably my wife packing her stuff. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> Um, and sh- you already uh, packed? Basically. You know, it's just, you know how we are. You, you shove everything in the suitcase. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You know how men are. Women got to make sure everything's in there. <laughs> that stuff. Yeah, totally. So, but did you have a good time? Very, Has very it been a nice time? Oh, yes. It's, it's very hot. It's very humid. Um, that was expected, though. Yeah. But it was nice, you know, pool time, beach time, the, the whole, the whole deal. So, and nice to cash in on a lot of, credit card travel points. Excellent. It's the same place you went to on your honeymoon, correct? Yes. Outstanding. So got to do some of the same stuff and some different experiences saw like Chichen Itza, which is, which was pretty cool. And swimming a cenote. And uh, yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time, but not as much fun as Laguna Seca was over the weekend. Yeah. No no joke. (laughs) Um, We have, we have a, a race that we both thought, oh, that's going to be really boring. You know, kind of a boring into the season, bring on Nashville 2024. And this was way more entertaining than I think we ever could have imagined. Scott Dixon gets the win, uh, even after an early penalty. Uh, so, I mean, it's just the penalty summary. I'm looking at the box score, and it's so it's like half the page. So, um, he, is, he was able to get through. All of that had the drive-through penalty for avoidable contact on lap 12. Again, he pulls this off. This is, what, third win in four races for him. So Scott Dixon with an impressive win. Plus, we have silly season news. Plus, we have a new race to talk about for 2024. So a lot to get to this week. Let's do it. Let's do it. So let's start with the uh, Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey at WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca. Scott Dixon gets the win. I, I think the number one takeaway for me from this race, unfortunately, once again, is race control. <laughs> Still <laughs> I mean, my number one. <laughs> uh, it, there's just there's so much going on. Like, what's a penalty? What's not a penalty? I mean, dare I say, Dixon kind of got screwed on that early call. Yes, like, he did. I don't really know what he was supposed to do there. Uh, and he said as much on the radio, and you just you had so much stuff. I mean, the penalty list is, is seriously so long; it's, it's unbelievable. And the fact that you know some people get restarted back to the field, some people get a drive through, some people get a yield position for blocking. Like you know, consistency in the type of call, consistency on you know what is and isn't a block. Uh, I mean, it made for an entertaining race with all the chaos. I'm good with one chaos race a year, and this clearly was by far the chaos race this year. Didn't expect it to happen. I guess we should have with a, a green track. And into the season with guys switching teams, everyone just kind of going for it. But, man, race control once again kind of stuck their foot in this one. I don't understand what the series needs to see or 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 experience before they get serious about race control. Like, like it's almost become it, they're like it seems like they're tuning it out like like they're just accepting it. Well, mm-hmm. race control is going to be inconsistent, and it just is what it is. When it shouldn't be, it's a controllable aspect of the sport. Yet it seems like they don't care. Yeah, yeah, no. It it seems like you can you know change using race control, have consistency in your calls, and instead they just seem content with running it how it is and in a way it's like you know are we are we taking ourselves seriously as a sport here or is this just kind of back to being a a good old boys club and and racing because it's kind of how it feels it does and with every no call on this driver and and a call on that driver it just brings up natural animosity on potential favoritism this that or the other it may not be there but it presents the idea that that is something and it just it, 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 uh, you mentioned in terms of hurts the respectability of your sport. You know, part of the f- part of sport are penalties or fouls or whatever, and there are clear delineations between what is a penalty, what is a foul, and what isn't. And it just seems like IndyCar, this is the thing in the NFL is what is a catch? Nobody still understands is what the catch is in the NFL. But at this point, it just seems like that's where we're at the, the arbitrary calls 
and direction of race control from one weekend to another, from one incident to another. There's just no consistency, other than the fact that they're inconsistent. Graham Ray Hall said it best. He, he tweeted, consistency, race control, consistency. One week in week, it's open. The next, you don't, consistency. And, and yeah, you know, I can't believe I didn't even like get to that aspect because that was another thing where it's like, okay, Pelot benefited a few weeks ago. This week, he, he doesn't, but it's, and I get it, people say, well, it's because there was contact versus a car off track, but like, shouldn't all cautions be treated the same, right? I, I guess that's my issue with that. Right. Well, we've talked about keeping the pits open and all that stuff. And I know it can get a little, little tricky when you're at a road course or a street course or road course in particular about, okay, you can keep it open because they can clean it up at this end of the track. It just, it just needs to be a blanket yellow across the board. And unfortunately, that's not what we're getting. And uh, it, it was fitting that in the final race of a season full of race control gaffes, we had the ultimate race control chaos uh, at Laguna Seca. Absolutely. What's, what's your uh, first thing? Well, let's, I was going to talk about Scott Dixon. Let's just talk about Chip Ganassi racing in general. Yeah. Because they end the season with, what, eight wins? Uh, seven wins, I do believe. So Marcus Erickson had one. Uh, Scott mm-hmm. Dixon had two. or No, we had three. So it was three. eight wins three. total. And then Polo had four, five. Five, six, seven, eight. So nine wins for Chip Ganassi Racing. Nine of 17 races won. They won 10 of 18 as well. If you yes, if you go to last year with Alex Pillow. So 10 of the last 18, nine of, the la- of, of 17 this season. The dominant performance we saw out of Chip Ganassi Racing. I, I, I don't know if we're, we're, we're giving it the due that it needs to because this is a team that while we, we, we know they're a championship team, I think in recent years we had looked at Penske for good reason as that power, that number one, but it is clearly Chip Ganassi's series right now. And they proved it with their three drivers this year, uh, winning over 50% of the races. And winning the last four races of the season too. Correct. Dominant at the end, of course, win the championship and just very impressive. When we looked at this team just a couple years ago and you said, man, where are they going to go? When Scott Dixon is done and you looked at Felix Rosenquist, they brought in and, and Ed Jones and, and the, the great experiment with Jimmy Johnson. And you said, man, and Max Chilton, you know, where is this team going? Who's who's next? It seems like this team is as is on as solid of a footing going forward as as any time in recent memory, because Scott Dixon has proven that, yeah, he's still Scott Dixon to the sense that he can win races and compete. And then, of course, Alex Pillow. So even with losing Marcus Erickson in the silly season, man, this team is, is, is looking very, very strong going into 2024. And I just, I, I'm not saying that I didn't expect Chip Ganassi Racing to, to, to win the championship and win races. I just didn't expect this type of dominance this season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at it, they, you know, nine races, that's more than half the schedule. <laughs> Just uh, just insane. And all three drivers winning races, too. It's not just one guy. So a very impressive performance out of Chip Ganassi. Uh, what's your number two going out of Laguna Seca? Uh, my number two, so I want to talk about something a little, little different. But, again, something, I don't know, it, it's getting into semantics, and I get how they set it up. But Honda dominated this season, Right. I mean, they absolutely dominated the season, but because of the, the engine rules, they didn't win the engine manufacturer standings. Now, I mean, for, for Honda, you probably care about winning the Indy 500 first, having the winning driver in the championship, which they, they had that with Pelot, then the engine manufacturer standings, which Chevy won, despite the fact that, that Honda dominated. And, and I get it, they're like the engine rules and whatnot, you're trying to one, provide a cost savings, and two, try to, to make it fair, like you shouldn't count points. But it's just, I don't know. It, and I get it. This is not like a huge thing that people care a lot about. I just thought it was kind of silly that that's how the standings worked out and that Chevy, who won way less races, you know, comes away with the manufacturer's championship. 
Well, it's all about until how, they won five races, <laughs> right? I mean, it's all about how how much they value wins in the series, and we've talked about that before on the podcast about should the winner of races get more points? And yes, but then we look at to how that affects the manufacturers' championship and say, well, it, it it should wins mean more because of that, or should they have their own maybe different point system? to make sure that wins are getting mm-hmm. more or the, if the Indianapolis 500 hits more or something like that. So yeah, I, I agree that it, in the sense of, of the manufacturer's championship, it was a little skewed, but I guess you know, they're using the same points point system, I guess, as the, uh, the, the, the drivers themselves in the point standing. So it maybe reflects on the, the issues with that. And again, so like Scott Dixon's wins late in the season didn't count because he was on a, a fifth engine. So it just, yeah, then you're kind of a weird setup. I, I don't know. To me, like you win races, you, you win the title. I, I, I like the penalties for the grid positions. That's enough. I don't. I don't feel like that should not count in terms of you know the engine manufacturer championship. Yeah, and when you look at it, Chevy's not happy because they did, or Chevy's happy because they won the five hundred. Yes. So that's really all they kind of care about i mean yeah they'd like to win they'd like to win the manufacturer's championship but they're in it to win indy 500s and they did that so i don't think there are too many long faces in the chevy camp no no all right what's your number two well let's look at the the race in general because you and i were, were pretty vocal about the uh the 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 boredom that we've come to expect at laguna seca <laughs> did it was it better for was it a better race and was that quote-unquote, better race because of the racing or the lack thereof of racing in terms of all the incidents? How do you feel with the resurfacing and all that Laguna Seca? Did it race? Did it, did it, did it improve the product? It improved the entertainment. I don't think it, like, I was entertained. And again, a race like that, you, I'm good for one, maybe two of those a year. But overall, you don't want all your races to turn into just a chaotic crash fest. But new track. Drivers changing teams, as I mentioned, um, the physicality, like the, the physical nature of, you know, they set a track record by like what over a second. Moongard ended up with the, the track record, the new track record over Elio Castroneves, who had it before uh, back in the cart era. So that I think played an aspect, and then the tire wear just wasn't as big as people expected it to be. So all those things were factors. I I think with this, the biggest thing, so. I mean, you look at the stats, 432 on-track passes, 101 passes in the top 10, 36 in the top five records for IndyCar at Seca. But I think the biggest thing when you look at this is, okay, was it so chaotic because it was the final race of the season? Or was it chaotic because of the track? Or was it chaotic because it's so much faster than what they've raced in previous years? Or is it a combination of all three? Yeah, that's the big thing with with me is it it was more entertaining, but I felt like it was just because of the incidents. And and maybe you could say, mm-hmm. well, that's a factor of the track and the track. Okay, I guess it's better than one caution and just a procession. That that's for sure. But I just I, once again I went away going, I wish there was a better race to end the season. And some people will say, well, you had, what, eight cautions? That's you, you could potentially get that in Nashville next year. So if you're, if you're into cautions at the final race of the season, then you got them. But I just still didn't feel like it had that unpredictability that Nashville is going to provide. And that's what I want for a final race of the season. And for all the drivers and fans complaining about, oh, you know, you want Something, well, I think it's more the drivers, not the fans, but complaining about, oh, you don't want unpredictability. You want something predictable. Um, what makes oval so predictable? I mean, <laughs> we've had ovals as a season finale. We've seen crazy things happen uh, over the years. So I, I just think like this was a change of pace, and I guess because it was not the predictable professional race we expected, I think we both viewed it as more entertaining but I completely understand people saying that the race was a joke. Like I, I can understand that. My thing would be anybody that's that drivers, fans, whatever saying they want predictable racing is unpredictable. I mean, even when we talk about formula one and yeah, it's predictable that 
Max Verstappen's going to win, but anything could happen in the sense of a uh, mechanical or anything. So even predictable can sometimes be unpredictable. Uh, what is your number three? Number three. So this is uh, this is where I want to get in, kind of into the weeds here. Um, and Nathan ran out a really good story on IndyStar.com talking about this, but Devlin DiFrancesco, who's running well, then got hit and had gearbox issues, then eventually got held in pit lane. So he lost the final leader circle spot, at least that entry did, the 29 entry, by one point to Yuri Vips. And Vips, who was involved in that contact opening lap, and then his crew got him back out there to finish 24 laps down. Now, DeFrancesco finished the race, but was four laps down, um, didn't get that next lap in in the pits, he was sent out, and then a, a, an official sent him back because he was running so slow on track late in the race. And he, I mean, he was having a good race. He probably could have finished top 10, 12, 15, somewhere in that range until those issues. But I don't know. Like, you, you like that move. I mean, he didn't get a chance. Like, he came into the pits. He didn't get another chance to work out the problem. Like, I get that. He had the problem, or he had issues, but then they were going to send him back out and just him essentially doing a lap as long as he's not getting in the way. Like, that's not a problem. I mean, it's not as bad as Elio spinning out and almost taking out below, right? Which we saw happen. It just felt like maybe but, too, too, uh, too harsh. Yes. And that's, that's kind of my takeaway because, like, that one point made the difference in, in the leader circle. Now, we don't know what Andretti's going to do with that. There are rumors that, oh, they're going down to three, and then now there are rumors, oh, they could be going to a you know a fourth car with some money. I think that was the latest thing I, I read in the, the racer mailbag talking about, um, yeah, Marshall Pruitt saying um, they were set to follow suit with Kirkwood, Herter, and Erickson, and then some big money offers were received to keep the fourth uh, running. And Signal with four became an option once more. Basically, it's unclear what they're going to do with that entry. Um, but... All of this is just, I don't know, it felt way too harsh. Like, literally, IndyCar, I guess the way Nathan Brown explained it, so you come into the pits, and they count that lap, even if you haven't crossed start-finish line. Hmm. Like they count that, you, you know, that next, like, completing that lap. And so, literally, all he had to do was be released from the pits, and this completely changes the result. It felt too harsh, like it was almost too controlled by IndyCar. Right, and the fact that it leader circle money was on the line is pretty big. Now, yeah. I don't feel sorry for Andretti too much because they're the only team grandfathered into leader circle where all four cars are eligible. Um, Correct. But at the same time, that kind of hurts, particularly when you're looking at trying to keep that fourth car on the grid if there's money there. I agree. Uh, my number and, and with more oh with more money too. Let's sure. not forget there's going to be a jump from about nine hundred ten thousand per car to. 1.3 million in 2024. So, I mean, that's pretty significant. Yeah, right, which is, I, I, I guess that's great. I almost would, like, take that money and expand the leader circle, but that's me. I think if you, you yeah. put more more than 22 or whatever it is, but uh, it's not my money, so what do I know about it? <laughs> but, uh, go, All right, you're number three. Yeah, number three, let's talk about the rookie of the year. And how that went, yeah. and and when we made our picks at the beginning of the year, and now what has happened at the end of the year? You said, well, Marcus Erickson, despite not racing the full schedule, is going to win Rookie of the Year. He finished eighth at Laguna Seca, and uh, was as advertised throughout the season. I think Augustine Canapino surprised us in how he was able to come in and adapt as quickly as he did. But Marcus Armstrong definitely was uh, the, the premier rookie driver, and the standings reflected that, and he had a good, strong top-10 finish in his final race of his rookie season. Yeah, Marcus Armstrong, I mean, I said this going in because, one, I thought there'd be a chance he'd at least be able to run Iowa and or Gateway um, because of how they were very specific in saying Sato's only running Texas and Indy, and then everything after that was to be determined. And I thought, oh, maybe they'll kind of change their mind, especially because Armstrong ran so well, but I mean, this, this was close. I think it would have been closer had 
Canapino not had the, the damage late in the race. I mean, he was looking at a top-five finish in, in the 14th. But Armstrong, I mean, you look at his rookie campaign, really the only really, really bad race was at Road America, and that was more on his team, kind of taking him off strategy and, in a way, ruining his race. It was looking like another top-ten result. Um, he, he struggled in Indy GP2. I think he got caught up in that early mess. Portland uh, had an issue in the pits. But, I mean, this is a guy who had a handful of top-ten finishes, going to be full-time next year, really impressed with what he did this year. And maybe Chips found their next great Kiwi driver. <laughs> maybe. And the, the rich get richer Richer when we look at Alex Pillow and Scott Dixon and now Marcus Armstrong. Now, we'll see him on the ovals next year, which will be a big step for him. He never did. It was never was able to get in at Iowa and Gateway, which, as you mentioned, thought maybe was a possibility, but was still able to win Rookie of the Year and very impressive. Overall, when you look at this rookie class, and you look at Marcus Armstrong and Canapino and Benjamin Peterson and Stingray Rob, um, it's 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 mixed bag. I think you look at it and you say, okay, this guy has a future. This guy has overperformed. These guys are going to struggle. And I think it's pretty easy to divide the four into those respective categories. Yes, and I think we're impressed with Armstrong, but he he came in came in with a really solid resume. So I guess we shouldn't be too surprised. With the best team. Canapino, what? With the best team. Well, yeah, that, that helps. That, I mean, that, yeah, that helps you know, tremendously. I mean, he, he, he came in, we're like, is this guy going to be, you know, Jimmy Johnson, like levels of off the pace to start the year and maybe get better at the end? And then he hit the ground running right away. I mean, yes, he never had a, a top 10 finish, but two twelfths to open the season – um, the 14th at Laguna Seca was, was good. He also had a, a 12th in Toronto. So, like, the races where he thought he'd really struggle, in particular the street circuits, um, at least with the ovals, he had a couple of test days at Texas, obviously tons of track time at Indy, and Indy was running well, so he just got caught up in a crash late in the race. Um, he performed quite well, and I have to say I was pretty impressed with what he did. And it just goes to show you, you know, having a lot of experience in a car – as a racer, obviously means something, and, and maybe that opens the eyes for um, other teams to look beyond just, you know, the, the ladder and F2 as far as feeder options. And, and we've seen that with Scott McLaughlin, right? Great driver, right. dominated different kind of car, but he's adapted, and, and he's a championship contender now. So it just goes to show you the experience and having a, a good resume does mean something. It doesn't just mean, and not that I'm saying we take away from guys who are winning in lights and, and being factors there, but I think it just goes to show you what that means um, as far as having the experience and coming in. And hopefully we do, though, get to see Christian Rasmussen, who won an Indy Lights, to be a part of the series next year. Yeah, that's uh, definitely the hope, but I think a mixed bag uh, for this this rookie rookie crop. You look at Stingray Rob, his struggles, Benjamin Peterson, his struggles, and you go, where do they go from here? And and who knows, could they be be one and done in the series? Who knows at this point? But um, Marcus Armstrong clearly looks like a guy that's uh, has some staying power in the series. So uh, that's our three things uh, wrapping up the final race of the twenty twenty three season, Caleb. Yeah, and a couple other notes. So Rasmussen will test September 25th with Ed Carpenter Racing at Barber. $850,000 scholarship. Notice how that's significantly more than what Linus Lundquist got. Uh-huh. Uh, guaranteed two tests, Texas Oval in the 500 open test, and two races, the 500 and one other in 2024. So um, congrats to him on that. And then some other notes. Will Power, winless this year. Uh, last time he went without a win back in 2006, which was the same time that Marco was celebrating his first career victory at Sonoma. Uh, that's that from Chad 200. David Malukas turns five, to put it in perspective. And then Pato Award had four runner-up finishes this year. Um, since 1970, only drivers with at least four runner-up finishes during one less season. Mario Andretti at four and 82. Uh, Bobby Rahal, five in 1990. AJ Allmendinger, four in 2005. And, of course, Pato this past season. So... Never could break through for Pato, but was always at the front all season long. Very impressive throughout the, the season. So good to see. And he's, he's definitely going to be 
starting off on the right foot heading into next season. For sure. All right, let's let's talk TV ratings. So first off, for the race itself, not great. Um, which we expected. Half a million viewers, 538,000 viewers to the season finale, which is up from last year at 507,000. So at least it was up, right? Um, but when you're looking at half a million, I mean, that's, that's a real struggle um, going up against week one of the NFL season. But the overall positive side, the most watched campaign in 12 years now, for a while, is most watched in 2008. So lost a little ground at the end. Um, but each race averaged an audience of 1.32 million viewers. Uh, it was 1.39 million in 2011, 2% growth year over year uh, from 2022. And then some more positive notes, 13 races on NBC averaged 1.47 million, up 4% on last year. Eight races broke the 1 million mark for average viewership. And then including Peacock Only Toronto 2023 averaged a streaming audience of 58,000, which is up 15% from 2022 it's pretty impressive up is up we say up is up here on the podcast so whether it's two percent one percent one hundred percent point zero 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 one percent up <laughs> is up and uh indycar got it done we knew that the season finale was not going to draw as much as you because of of going against the nfl that's why people that's why me and caleb continue to say yes indycar needs to get out the way once the NFL starts and college football starts because it is just murder on the ratings. And that's proven by what we saw at Laguna Seca. We said, what, if it got up to 700,000, it'd be incredible, but it got a touch over a half a million finishes with the highest, um, highest rated season since 2011. And it helps to have a lot of races on network, but even the streaming numbers, I think, were were interesting, and we saw those released as well. What was it? A fifteen percent jump in yes. viewers on stream, which um, is is only going to continue to rise as we go forward. Absolutely, and then top ten markets. Just, I mean, obviously, Indy number one uh, for the season, um, three point two six, Knoxville one point eight two. Uh, Louisville, 1.52. Greenville, this is the one that's always fascinating to us, right? Uh, Greenville, I believe, what, in South Carolina, uh, a 1.39. You know, we always joke about Darlington or uh, what's what's the other one we always joke about that's that's closed. Uh, Which one? Darlington and Rockingham? Rockingham, yeah. Yeah, we always joke about those. Uh, Fort Myers. Fifth, Dayton, Ohio, sixth, Milwaukee, seventh, Cincy, eighth, Detroit, ninth, and also tied for ninth, Richmond, uh, Petersburg. So, I mean, you have a race in Detroit, you have a race in Indy, a race not far from Dayton, Ohio, obviously not far from Fort Myers. Um, and then you're going to add a race in Milwaukee. Uh, you know, you add a race in Richmond, you add a race in Greenville. I, I don't know about that. One, I mean, road and street, I mean, there, the street it, course everywhere of this top 10. Yeah. That's what I'm proposing. <laughs> So, overall, I, I mean, up is up. I think that's a positive sign, and, and that kind of transitions into the made-for-TV event that is the, the next kind of big talking point. I mean, yes, we had silly season announcements, but nothing really a big surprise over the weekend. But I think the, the big surprise, I guess we should have seen this coming, um, but the IndyCar race at Thermal, it was announced on Sunday before the race, a $1 million all-star race at the Thermal Club coming next year. They'll have two heat races, top six advance, million-dollar prize to the winner. Um, and then will, this will be on March 24th on NBC, practice and qualifying the, the previous two days. So they announced this for the Thermal Club. They'll have uh, an element of, you know, the, some of the, the residents, um, paired up with teams, and then they'll do some sort of charity offering uh, as well with this, kind of a made-for-TV event. But uh, Laguna Seca expected to be in June next year on the calendar, so we have that uh, to look forward to then, obviously the the Nashville season finale. So um, overall, this is a good event. Yeah, it comes during March Madness, but it's not the first weekend, so I don't think you're completely – out of sight, out of mind in that aspect. And 
you get another race on the schedule, and you finally get an all-star race. Like, I, I get limited tickets, and fans are upset about that, but this is like a one-off. If you're doing multiple races like like this, I understand the reason to be upset. But with just one event like this, I, I think I'm totally cool with, cool with it, and, and I'd say I, I'm embracing it. I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm actually surprised at the, the, the negative feedback that some people have about this event. I, I just... I didn't look at it, and, and admittedly, I wasn't on the, the Twitter machine for a couple of days, at least on, on, on race Twitter and looking at it, but I thought, like, I, I didn't see the problem. I thought this was everything good. You, you have a lot of money being invested into the series. If you can get some of these guys, this is the thing. It's all about schmoozing people. That's what Thermal is all about, going out there, and if you can schmooze the right people, you have another investor in a team or a sponsor or a sponsor for the series or an investor in the series or whatever, and that's what it's for. And it's not for you and me, and I'm perfectly fine with that. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised at some of the negative. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised with IndyCar fans, <laughs> yeah, right? Maybe I shouldn't be. IndyCar fans? Yeah, but, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think you and I are, are as, as practical as it comes in terms of the positives and negatives of the sport, and, and I, don't, I don't see any negative here. I'm surprised other people do, but then again, coming back to the fan base. Yeah, I, I think this is a, a really good opportunity and option for IndyCar to try something different, something we haven't really seen before. So I'd say I'm excited for that option, that opportunity, because, I mean, it's nice to have new events that you're actually looking forward to. And it's another right? weekend with, with cars on track, right? And, and there's such limited test time that any time these cars can mm-hmm. get on track is a positive and you're going to have some sort of relationship where you're you're partnering up some of these really elite of 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 Cali of California of Silicon Valley in into the series to be partners quote unquote quote with some of these teams i just have a hard time finding something bad about about this because what because people can't just buy tickets it's not like a ton of people are going to go to this anyway let's be real there'll be no. some tickets available but and it's going to be on network television too. That's a huge, huge thing as well. So just have a hard time finding the negative in this, but by God, IndyCar fans can do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that <laughs> kind of says it all uh, as far as that. I, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff there. I mean, you had a race, the top five are splitting their winnings, you know, with a thermal club member and the, again, the charity aspect to be announced. Um, everyone expected to compete, but like for the teams, I guess I, I understand the cost aspect when there's only a payout to the top five, but if this is part of getting your leader circle contract, like you're obligated to go. That's just how it works. Yeah. And, and I think it's going to be a good thing. And, and not only do you have then quote unquote spring training at thermal, now you'll have this race as well. And it can be, it can be very advantageous if you just land one investor serious investor to a team to create a team to uh finance the sport in some way then it's a victory it's a win and even if it doesn't it's it's an all-star race it's about time indycar had one and i like one at the beginning or the end of the season more than smack dab in the middle of it and so this 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 gives indycar something that i think a lot of us have have wanted to see and maybe not in the traditional way and how we were thinking but at the same time, I think this is this is definitely a, a positive for the sport. Yeah, in fact, let's talk schedule. So let's do it. We have thermal now, March March twenty fourth. Um, we have Laguna Seca moving to June, most likely. Um, Mark Miles said, "I could see us running one, maybe two or three races abroad in the fourth quarter of the calendar year if it all works out." We're talking with Argentina right now, no secret about that. So it could be October of twenty twenty four. Um, that is, is common to add to uh, business. Uh, and then IndyCar closing in on the 2024 schedule. So this from uh, Marshall Pruitt, uh, a return to the legendary Milwaukee Mile. Hmm. Where hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, Who's been saying that? Seca to June, the deletion of the second IMS road course race. Finally, Nashville, of course, going to be the season finale. The postseason non-point trip to Argentina. That, that they're winning formal confirmation. Uh, we expect that to be in October. And then they're also f- finalizing an extension for Toronto. 
That expected to be ratified in upcoming city council meeting, according to Pruitt. And then once that is finished, the schedule will be released. So um, Mark Miles saying it'll be probably another two weeks. Now this was obviously coming last weekend. So it, we should probably get it as soon as sometime next week. So it's looking positive. We're seeing some changes. We're seeing some additions. And as far as the, the race, you know, talking about Argentina, one aspect, though, that, of note that I found interesting that uh, Pruitt had, Mark Miles saying that Argentina has been through a national election, so a little more work needs to be done to make sure that all the arrangements will be in place. Um, <laughs> it's always something, right? It's always something. Yeah, there's, that, that's always the thing that gets in the way. I still ex- so that, That's a look, though, at, at the schedule for 2024. And again, we, we could get this released as soon as next week. So basically, if we're looking at additions and subtractions, we're looking at the second road course race going away and the addition of Milwaukee. So you're taking away a road course and you're adding an oval. And you're adding, in all likelihood, an exhibition race at the end of the season. And you're adding an all-star race at the beginning of the season. So effectively, you're looking at a 19-race schedule with 17 points-paying races. And also, though, you wonder, do they, you know, do we have a night race again? Like, where Rumors Gateway could be a night race. I mean, that's obviously something to kind of think about as far as a change moving forward. Um, but that's something to think about. And then Bruce Martin had a, a great article. I don't know if you caught this on NBCSports.com. There's so many good nuggets. I did, yeah. In this, as far as what Bruce was able to report. So, I mean, just. Absolutely outstanding reporting. Um, talks everything from the TV contract to the schedule to, to everything else. Um, there's just a lot of info in here. Some of the, the highlights um, is that, first off, Mark Miles is really positive uh, as far as, I mean, we talked about Portland. Um, they brought in more sponsors, brought expanded new suites, put them in a better position, had uh, new video boards, the suites sold out. Um, attendance. He, he, Miles was impressed with attendance at Portland, uh, and some a fan I think told us that they spread out. Like for Formula E, is just the main grandstand, right? Um, so I think that's why. So uh, and they're looking at twenty-two to twenty-four percent increase in attendance across the series. I mean, that's huge. Absolutely, so that's a, a major, major positive aspect. Um, but the you know obviously the, the TV numbers were positive going back to, to twenty eleven, and then the championship with the schedule. Uh, where things stand, I, I mean, that's another big positive. Um, Monterey will be after the Indianapolis 500 end of June. So that's kind of the, the timeline for that. Obviously, you have the Olympic gap. And then um, Milwaukee says Milwaukee's likely. Um, and then going back to, you know, Pinsky will probably be the promoter for that. Um, and, and they're going to. They, they think they can make it successful. Um, they want to make it Pinsky-esque. Um, they're going to promote it. They obviously do that at Detroit. They do that at Iowa, and they do that at the, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And then uh, wouldn't confirm as far as the last year of the IndyCar NASCAR doubleheader IMS. I mean, I think we kind of see where that's going. But as far as a future venue, not an IMS for a, a doubleheader, uh, Mark Miles says there's a very good chance there's a combined event by 2025. Hmm. Not that interesting. I would imagine the next NASCAR IndyCar combo will be at an oval. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. I, I would Texas agree. is my best guess. Yeah, I could see that. We'll see. We'll see. Texas we'll see. or a short oval. Yeah, Texas or or. Iowa, I think Indi- I think NASCAR's eyeing Iowa as a potential at some point, and those those two would be my leaders. Yes, I would agree. And then as far as 100 Days to Indy, I mean, he said this before, but he, again, just more confirmation. He believes it will return. Met IndyCar's expectations. Um, average half a million viewers per episode for the six ep- episodes. Um, and then did say they're not happy with international distribution. I should have some good news about international distribution of season one of 100 Days to Indy quite soon. Um, so that's obviously important. And then the leader circle, uh, more money. We talked about that earlier. Um, and then 
increase on, on cars on the grid. He, Miles says any cars close to the limit of cars they would like to see, which, I mean, I would, I would agree. One negative, the search for a third OEM has been paused. Basically, they're focused on the hybrid for right now. I would imagine, yes, that you can only keep searching for so long before you're like, all right, let's just uh, let's, let's take a break here. It's like when you're doing a, a project at home, and, and yeah, you have to get it done, but at some point you reach me like, I just, I need a break and, and separate from it. So I'm sure if a ma- en- engine manufacturer called IndyCar today and said, hey, let's talk, they would. But I think you're not seeing an active pursuing of IndyCar in terms of trying to bring somebody in. They need to focus on making sure they get the hybrids right and all that stuff. So uh, in that respect, I don't blame them one bit. And then a couple other notes. So they want to sell up the Indy 500, and I'd say they could pull that off in 2024 with Kyle Larson coming in. And then uh, add a race on the East Coast, which is an obvious missing gap. Miles saying we would like to be on the East Coast, so we will keep looking for an opportunity there. East Coast, so we'll keep an eye on that see what happens. Yeah. But overall, just a lot of good stuff. Again, Bruce Martin, NBCSports.com. You can, you can check that out and read the full article. So that's a look at the schedule and some notes. Now let's get into silly season stuff. No surprise, David Malukas confirmed at McLaren in that third car. I mean, this was one that I, I don't think we necessarily saw coming from far away. And then as it got closer, this was the option. Um, so congrats to him on that. <laughs> McLaren reorganizing their engineering this offseason. Already um, have that article. We'll in the off <laughs> yeah, we so can't wait to read about all the other that. the other teams that are reorganizing things behind the scenes. Yeah, not not a good sign. Not not a not something that, that breeds confidence. I, I would say no, but we can um, agree but, that it's needed. Yes, yes, it is needed. It's absolutely needed. So um, that's one of the stories now. Ryan Hunter A will, will not return full time. He's working on the Indy 500 and some other races. Um, that's kind of his plan. Uh, the other races being outside of IndyCar, so don't expect him to, to see him at ECR full time next year. Graham Rahal closing in on a new deal at uh, his father's team. No surprise. I think there was a possibility we thought he could leave, but obviously that team's turned things around and. I think he's he's shown himself well this year, especially in the second half of the season, um, to to try to put some momentum again for next year. Didn't end the way he wanted at Laguna Seca, but what a turnaround since May. Yes, absolutely. Uh, other notes on you know where things stand for Ramon Grosjean. I mean, was that it in IndyCar? Right. I mean, that's a possibility. Yep. So um, elsewhere. Tuncos wants to keep Augustine Canapino. Callum Eilat confirmed before the race he's coming back, but then you have the social media firestorm that Argentinians attacking him. Eilat took his Twitter, and I think his Instagram as well, private, uh, just because of the, the comments. Um, second time we've seen it this year, and what was notably different was that Tuncos had a very condemning statement earlier in the season when this happened after Long Beach. This time, it uh, was pretty weak. Not worded very strongly. Well, I think it didn't. It didn't help the first time, obviously. So I just don't know what you do about crazies on on social media. Yeah. Just, just, it's it's it, here. It is. It, it's uh, how people treat soccer in other countries is similar to how th- this goes in in auto racing. And, and Americans aren't aren't uh, blameless in this in terms of how they handle other sports, football stuff. But I'm just the the, the rabid fans of soccer in other countries where they're rioting at soccer games and and all that stuff and and racist and derogatory remarks being yelled at soccer like these are the same people that are doing this to to race car drivers so in that respect unfortunately i'm i'm not really surprised yeah uh as far as other silly i mean there really wasn't a whole lot to come out it's just kind of like you know devlin d francesco is going to be on the move uh stingray rob rob brings a budget not sure if he, he lands somewhere. Um, he could stay at Coin. That's a possibility, according to Pruitt. Uh, Andretti's you know decision between three or four cars. Simon Passion, obviously, you know, once he gets healthy, um, is still fighting to, to be back on the grid, obviously. And then, 
you really just get down to it. And there's, you know, does Callum Eilat stay? I mean, based on what has happened recently? I don't. I mean, he, he's, yeah. I don't know if anybody else out there, you know, out there wants him. That's, that's really kind of like the one thing that feels more up in the air suddenly, even after he confirmed he was going to be back with the team in 2024, um, you know, before the race, but yet <laughs> things left off, it's not very positive. No, not at all, but I don't just don't know how much of his star is still shining or if it's dimmed a little bit based on his performance this season. Uh, I, he was all right, but I don't think he, he wowed people like maybe they were expecting. Yeah. And then one other note, this is from Feeder Series Americas for car count for Indy Lights, 21 to 22 cars at St. Pete for That'd next year. phenomenal. Yeah. Now, is that, that the max? Are they talking? Or that's what's expected, or that at the low it's end? Expected. Gotcha. So anything, you know, once you get above 15, it feels like gravy for that series, and you get closer to 20, and that's ideal. Anything Definitely. above 20 would be outstanding. Definitely. It seems at the very least that Indy Lights is reasonably healthy in comparison to what it has been in recent years in terms of car count and investment. And it helps that HMD has 8 million cars. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing we got to consider. Like, if you take HMD out of the equation, you're at 11 or 12. So, (laughs) you know, I I guess that's better than not, but I'm just saying it's how much you're relying on one team. Yeah, no, it's it's true. I mean, they are the the bulk of that series, but you you take it. You do. Absolutely, you take it. They're making that grid look very full. All right, if you agree or disagree with us, let us know. You can find us, newtrackrecordpodcast.com. Right there, sign up uh, for the email list. It is free. You won't miss an episode or any special announcements. Plus, we have T-shirts and stickers for sale. Uh, on social media, IndyCar Podcast on Instagram, on Twitter, or X. Uh, just search for New Track Record on Facebook. Our email address, newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com. And on Patreon, patreon.com slash newtrackrecord. Thanks to Xavier Rob. And several others for their support. Again, you can uh, help us out. One dollar a month is all it takes to be a supporter of us on Patreon. And as always, you can download us for free on your favorite podcasting platform: Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Overcast, Castbox, wherever you listen to podcasts. All for free. Mailbag time, Justin. And we have a lot to get to this week. So let's go back to what we had last week. Um, some couple of notes. And I know you had a poll talking about football, um, a couple of things from Poet Shevchenko here, uh, talking about race control, um, saying, enjoying the race control rants in the podcast is from last week. No one expects the indie position. Uh, and then added one more thing on race control. As you said, race control, not wanting to be a part of the title fight, makes them a part. In addition to fuel strategy and tire strategy, there's now race control strategy. See how much you can get away with without penalty. Yeah, or if you know somebody that's on race control, maybe you can get away with something. Or if you're a power team, or if you're involved in the championship as opposed to not. That's that's all the, the different uh, dynamics and variables that can factor in seemingly to race control. They may, That may not be the case, but it sure as hell looks like that's the case. Um, this from R. Cole. I'm with you guys once college football and the Lions have started. It's hard for me to, to pay attention to watch IndyCar. If your diehard fans aren't paying attention as much, that's not great. Uh, Littered PDX said, the reason Formula E, so this, this is the fan who the reason Formula E looks so packed in Portland, the fans only had access to a quarter of the track. There's no true GA tickets where you can wander the circuit, seeing limited to the front stretch, and that's it. RV spaces were 20% of IndyCar, which is always sold out. And we talked about some other elements of that too, so added suites, so that's why that event uh, looks bigger. Your poll on, you know, following the, the season finale, 48% said we'll watch the race, 33% locked in all weekend, 10%, well, 10 and a half season still going, 8% may flip around football. I mean, these are IndyCar fans, so of course they're going <laughs> to give a different response, but 167, our, our buddy Steve said, I'm here, so that should tell you my response. He had some good pictures there from over the weekend. Um, I watched this live. I didn't expect to be, you know, super entertained, but here we are. It was at least an intriguing race. 
I don't know if it was a good race, but it was an intriguing race. And also, this from Milk 1977, I'm camping at the Laguna Seca finale. Camping sold out, uh, he heard. So mm. that good. just goes to kind of show. I mean, in terms of the crowd, what 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 did you think? It's solid. Yeah. I mean... Uh, not it didn't come to mind like so many races season finales in recent years you've looked at it and go oh man that's not good i mean it didn't hit like that which i think is a step in the right direction um and and people kind of responding to you know the, the bruce martin article and, and i thought this is good fit j1983 said the indirect drive to survive the site get fans into racing slash f1 then they learn about other sports with better racing and leave f1 <laughs> I mean, I think it's a certain extent it, it a, a point. Work, though. I don't know if they're like, if they're bailing on F one, but if they if they watch Drive to Survive, they get into F one, and then all of a sudden they see that oh, there's another open wheel series that's more in the United States or North America at the very least, and that could suck people in. I, I think there is an indirect indirect impact on IndyCar in a positive way. From Drive to Survive, I think it's too easy to say, well, Drive to Survive purely uh, helps Formula One, because I don't think that's true. Uh, this from our call, missed the poll due to football, talking about <laughs> being locked in. Uh, this from FitJ1983, my 13-year-old just made the comment that the 06 sucks and is the worst driver in IndyCar. I tried to explain to him who Elia was years ago. <laughs> years ago, or like last year, or two years ago. Yeah, yeah, it was not a good season, you know, series finale for him on Sunday. That's that's for sure. No, not at all. Um, uh, it's uh, I I posted this. Would not have expected Laguna Seca to be a chaos race. Jeremy from HBG said it's going to rain frogs next. Uh, South ten fourteen said really no need to hold back. Any drivers changing teams? That's a green light to go for. Equipment is no concern. That, that was true. Yeah. It absolutely was true with that race and how things played out. All right, race or race time? What would you give this race? I would give it a seven. I'm going to go eight. I was entertained. It it got a little silly at the end. I mean, you had a lot of action. You had strategy. You had passing. You had race control. (laughs) At least the mucking up a race makes it more entertaining. Right. Yeah, I uh, it was um, up there. It was better than I anticipated. That's for sure. Uh, Jaron Dimendal, um, so I can't understand the, the first part. I, it's in Dutch, but he said oh. negative twenty. <laughs> so not not a, not a fan. <laughs> the Dutch were not entertained. Uh, no, uh, Mom two X over two thousand two said race control gets a negative two on track trauma a nine overall seven. Yeah, that's pretty fair. Jeremy from HBG gave it uh, pi. Or whatever your favorite irrational number is. Also, I guess I had the keys after all. Um, Jay McCorton gave it a 10. Uh, CJ9 only watched the second half, but from what I saw, so bad it's good. 10, kind of like Nashville West. I love that. <laughs> so bad it's good. That's kind of how I felt. It was. It's uh, a fine line, right, between boring and yeah. entertaining <laughs> because it's being silly. So uh, yes. I think it was right on that line. I, I would agree. Uh, 167, who was there, give it a six. This one was brutal but interesting. You can't restart before the final turn. It doesn't work here. Get the leaders on the front straight. Then throw the green, please. I was there. It was a great weekend. That's some Canapino fans as well from Argentina. Yeah, moving the restart zone, I think, would do wonders. I would absolutely agree. Uh, Roto Doc gave it a 1.5. So did not a fan. Uh, Jimmy B four four one four zero give it a nine. It's just it's funny these are all over the place. Uh, Bauer Racing, nice calling. What a boring race it was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're wrong. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, in Vaney, no higher than a seven. Certainly not boring, but I feel there's plenty of room for improvement. Need to work on consistency and officiating, which should lead to better driving standards. Too many chaotic races, which can be entertaining, but also frustrating at the same time. Um, Jay Blasteri gave it a seven, more enjoyable than past few Laguna Seca races. I'm glad every race didn't like this, but it was fun. Uh, Indy Oreo, this one is going to polarize on a one to ten scale. And then he goes on to say, for what it's worth, my one yardstick is Laguna Seca 2001. When bad rules, not bad weather, were to blame for a ridiculously unrepresented result. 
rookie Scott Dixon should have finished P2 to Gilles DePere that day. Said the rule book made him P3 to P4. I'll have to do more investigating on what happened in that race. Uh, Poet Shevchenko gave us a 7. It was messy but not boring somehow. If you look at the finishing order and nothing else, Dixon, McLaughlin, Pelo, Power, you think less ha- happened than really did. Uh, Dutch Mika said, oh, this was a race? <laughs> oh, come on now. Raina Camp, 99. Four, pretty disgraceful. GP World gave it an eight. And Danny Leo underscore racing gave it a two. <laughs> Dang, um, all over the place. Yeah. Uh, Quinn Live said, worst race ever, very disappointing. <laughs> Man. Uh, Big D Cart, 8.7. Everyone said the race would be processional. It was anything but. And Christos gave it a one. Absolutely diabolical race. Uh, I, like others, trash deal Nashville tracks are causing wrecks. It turns out it's just these drivers. <laughs> it's amazing because I think there's two different uh, segments of the IndyCar fandom, maybe more than two. But in terms of these types of races, there's people that like them and people that don't like them. And I'm not saying one is right or one is wrong, but I think when you when you have fuel mileage and and not a lot of a lot a lot of uh, excitement towards the front, that's the people that are happy that weren't happy with Laguna Seca, and then vice versa. The people mm-hmm. that aren't don't like the fuel mileage and all that stuff, they were entertained by Laguna Seca. So. There's different <laughs> elements of the fandom and what they deem a good race, quote-unquote good race. None of them are wrong, but they surely don't see eye-to-eye. Eye. Yes, there are very, very different standards. Uh, and I think I have a couple other more uh, rate-the-race things to get to because, we, <laughs> again, this was by far, I think, the most polarizing rate-the-race I think we, we've had in quite some time. So um, some other entries, let's see here. I know we had one that came in on uh, the Facebook page. Um, this from Warren. Uh, two, if I reject the chaos. Eight, if I embrace it, the pace car running out of fuel is the whipped cream and cherry on top. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was good stuff there. So um, that's a look at Rate the Race again, all over the map uh, on this one. So... Uh, elsewhere on the mailbag, um, this from Phil Drazi, uh, Keenart Dairy Farms, Cormaze this year, will feature Joseph Mugard uh, with the uh, IndyCar and, and him with the Reef and, you know, punching his, his or, yeah, kind of like raised fists and, and pouring milk over his head. Um, that's, I think, in the Fort Wayne area. And I think they were the farm for the milk two years ago. That does sound familiar, yeah. So. I remember that, that name. Um, R. Cole said, pre-race show too long, race itself was below passing rate at five, can't wait for Nashville to be the finale, and a new race time before football game. So that's another on uh, rate the race. Uh, Daguerre said, I've been following Erickson's career for some 15 years. This is by far his worst performance ever. All it takes to forget how to drive a racing car is to sign for Andretti. I'm astounded. Not a fan on the Erickson, you know, Rosenquist, sweet on sweet crime uh-huh. race. Um, you complained about the push notifications. Uh, J.P. Murley said this would be just the first problem in a list of issues that IndyCar Media brings on itself. It is frustrating because, like, you, you have it turned off, right? That's the part that doesn't make any sense. And yet you still get them. Yeah. it's I, I have them off. Well, I guess it's kind of my fault. So I, I didn't have everything off. I have, like, IndyCar news and stuff off, like the, the pertinent stuff that I thought would avoid me from seeing who won the race and not not just that like like i can glaze my eyes to where i'm just i i just swipe but when the first when the when the the, the title of the push notification is scott dixon blah, blah 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 it's like okay come on and then they send you email and stuff it's just it's not smart because i have push notifications on for formula one and i never see the race winner They'll say what pops up is the race has been completed at Singapore. They'll say, you know, an entertaining race or a wet turned into a dry rate. Like they'll give you a teaser, but they don't tell you who won. And then I get IndyCar at two hour, it wasn't even two hours uh, that after the race that are letting me know that Scott Dixon won. I'm like, come on. It's just, it's amateurish. It's amateur hour. At least a 24 hours, especially because, like, again, if you have the notifications off, don't spoil it. <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, 
and hitting people with emails, and I know that's bitten you too. Yep, it's like, I get it spoiled with IndyCar shop every race. Like, but at least they wait until like that easy. Right, like, it's usually like seven, eight, nine o'clock. If it's the day after, I'll, I'll give them some leeway there. Yeah, if if it's the day after, it's fair game. Uh, if you want to hit me with yeah. IndyCar app with eight million notifications on Monday morning about uh, Scott Dixon, that's fine. But not an hour after the race, not now. If you're throwing out a post race push notification, make it vague like Formula One does. Uh, all right, so that wraps up the mailbag news and notes. We have a, a few things to get to. First off, IndyCar staying patient with motorsport games, even though. Dimitri Kozko resigned from the board of directors. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, not, not good. Um, Oliver asked, you didn't mention his name, but he was hanging around uh, IndyCar in Monterey, so maybe a name to keep an eye on moving forward. Uh, Nathan Brown has a story on this, but Zach Brown uh, said McLaren F1 still has a hotel room in Singapore. Alex Lowe's name, no expectation, obviously, that he's going to show up. Uh, also, no, Pato Award told NBC if, uh, if he finished fourth or higher Sunday, he would obtain his super license. So he did finish high enough to obtain his super license. So good for Pato. Yeah, that's nice. Um, Renus VK got engaged. Looks um, like when he was out in California. So congrats to him. And new media negotiation. This was an interesting story only in the aspect that, like, we know that they're going to have a new deal come 2025. But the right. part that was really interesting, and we, we mentioned this before, when Mark Miles talking, um, cited Major League Soccer on Apple, uh, Apple TV+, Plus, uh, and then said, uh, I think there are more players that are more focused on sports, and that would include the CW, which is a national free-to-air network that has almost 100% reach. Um, I think that's, I mean, we talked about this before, and then Miles even goes in and talks about what we said before, as far as when Fox, you know, they got rights and, and eventually got the NFL, and now they've been a mainstay for you know 25 years. But you go back 30 years ago, it was that was not the case. And CW's trying to do that same thing. I mean, started with Live, then 100 Days of Indy. Now they have ACC football, and then men's and women's basketball coming this winter. They have inside the NFL, so they're slowly working their way into getting some sports rights. I wouldn't be surprised if at this time next year, IndyCar is going to have to make a decision whether they're going to go with more money or what they perceive as more visibility being on NBC. Because I could see the CW, and let's say it's around $20 million, which is what it sounds like annually that NBC pays IndyCar. I could see them offering double that for IndyCar. CW offering $40 million for IndyCar. And maybe... NBC protects the Indianapolis 500 and a couple races kind of like ABC did, but uh, that could be a decision that IndyCar has to make in the near future on whether they're going to chase the money or are they going to stick with a solid partner that maybe they're not getting the money, but they feel is a more um, profitable or visual entity in NBC, not just over the air, but also with things like Peacock. Yeah, I, I think... You know, the streaming aspect is important. Uh, getting all the races on network would be huge, even if it's between two partners. Um, it's just kind of a, a process you go through. So I think there's some good momentum there. And, again, we'll probably have answers on 2025, probably by, what, Indy 500, 2024? I would imagine, or at the very least, things start getting really serious right around then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple other quick notes before we wrap things up. Uh, Michael Andretti closing in on getting his F1 entry approved by the FIA. Teams remain wary. This is not a surprise. Uh, there will be a historic IndyCar challenge for Long Beach in 2024, so that they get out that. That's pretty cool. And uh, with that, time for tweets of the week. This from Andretti. Uh, Nashville 2021, Laguna Seca 2023, and Spider-Man pointing at each other. <laughs> It's the meme that just keeps on giving. Yeah. Anything that we missed? I don't think so. I think it was a a more interesting final race of the season than you and I expected. Our, our ex- expectations were, of course, low, but it delivered in ways that we didn't expect. 
All right, time for a random split air driver of the week. All right, we're going to the rookie season that is the Indy Racing League, and we're going with a guy that raced all of three races in 96 and the 96-97 seasons, and we're going with David Kudrave. You know of him? I've heard of him because I, I think I think he's been, been one before. <laughs> Has he really? I didn't think we had David Kudrave. Uh, my, my list is incomplete, so maybe. But we'll go through Kudrave again. Uh, made his kart debut in 1993, actually appeared in Euro Motorsport 93 and 94, um, and did, let's see, seven races for kart in 93, and did not qualify and withdrew in three races in 94. Raced for Tempero Geoffrey Racing in 96 and 97, three yeah, that, races. Yeah, that's why I remember him, the Tempero name. Okay, and uh, I'll make sure I put him on the list. There. But, uh, you know, if you're not a completionist and haven't, Listen to every single podcast we put out there. And first off, why haven't you? Is we're coming around and uh, doing Kudrave again. But guy who was raised in California, um, he would go to Ontario Motor Speedway. He said he watched legends like Andretti and Foyt and others. He said uh, that's kind of how he fell in love with the sport, began racing at 12 years old, which is actually kind of uh, advanced for race car drivers starting and karting a lot younger. Uh, actually lied about his age to get into the Jim Russell British School of Motor Racing. Uh, he, was at fi- he was 15, but told, uh, the, the, told people he was older than what he was so he could get in and uh, was, was generally regarded as the most competitive amateur open-wheel class uh, driver in the nation, the Formula Ford circuit, and uh, started driving Super V cars in, in the 80s and 90s, did some kart, and then did the IRL. So three races... He is his top finish was Phoenix in 1996. Didn't doesn't look like he tried to compete in the Indianapolis 500. Oh, because let's see, uh, he was set to race in the 500 before a complication with his team prevented him from being able to participate in the race. After the third round, Kudrave would not race, start another race in the file in the season, and um, that's it. He was also uh, his final race was at New Hampshire, finished 17th. In 1996, and the 96-97 IRL season was the final season of his racing career, and so that's it, Mr. David Kudrave, this week's random split era driver of the week. All right, that wraps it up for this episode. Next week, the first real episode of the off season. Let's go. Hopefully, we'll have a schedule to talk about. Let's hope. All right, for Jessica Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.